Hi there. Before we start, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in to our show, and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all of your kind words and encouragement. It has really helped this podcast to grant a great exposure, as our mission is to create perspectives by the people who look like us. And a woman, and also people who are marginalized historically, to the sideline of conversations. So, you haven't already. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google, or Spotify, and of course, leave a rating and a review if you like. We also welcome engagement through our Facebook and Instagram platforms. We truly appreciate the support from you to help us to increase the visibility of different perspectives. Enjoy today's show. Hey all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen, and we are Asian bitches down under. Helen, how's it going this week? I'm good. Just before we're recording, we were already talking about the things that we watched. The chair, yeah, the chair. Yeah. And I said, come on, just press record because this is so. This is like a golden moment that we need to be capture. Capture. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, specifically, we were talking about the episode in which David Duchovny appears in the chair. Uh, the Netflix, uh, we're, according to a lot of quite quite uh, legit publica- publications, I suppose, mm-hmm. if I may call them, um, uh, people are calling it the best Netflix series. Oh, in really? A few years. Okay. Yeah, um, and yeah, the scene with David Duchovny, guys, if you haven't watched it, go <laughs> just binge. On the net,、uh, the Netflix series The Chair, it'll really just take three and a half hours out of your life, and it's certainly well worth it. I kind of want to do the whole thing again. Yes, yeah, same, same.、Um, I, I mean, I told you this in the previous podcast, Helen. I said that what it does so miraculously well is that it doesn't make you hate anyone. Like it kind of makes you sympathize with everyone.、Mm-hmm. Do you still agree with me? I don't know. I don't want to disagree with you, but I don't feel the same way. To be honest. Okay. Yeah.、Uh-huh. Um. Because from my own perspective, that I don't see any, like initially, because I watch it with my husband, and then I thought、mm. we we spoke about this issue of any characters that we dislike from this drama, and he said that yeah, I can understand that you feel that you cannot. There's no likable male characters in there.、Mm. But he did point、yeah. out. My husband did point out the IT guy. Was actually、oh, yeah. the、he、more positive character、sweet. in the whole yeah, series. Yeah. yeah, even though he does something illegal. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right.、Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's 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 very hard for me to explain how I was feeling when I was watching the whole thing, especially with David Duchovny's scene. And I、yeah. immediately kind of felt like, yeah, that's exactly what happens with a person of color, especially a woman. Needs to face and have and burden with the mental load to explain this ignorant、mm. white man that yeah, yeah, yeah. his point of view is just so bullshit. Yeah, yeah, no. The line where he said, "I don't see any color," or the part where he's patronizing on the way that she pronounces a specific English word. Yeah, and I was just yeah. thinking, yeah, that's just how we. I don't know about other rest of the Asian women out there, but I had the similar experience. Even though that I'm not in the academic field, but、mm. that's just a very common scenario for people of color. I do feel like yeah, that. Totally. yeah, totally. 
Yeah, and I find it um quite violent to see. I mean, it was mm-hmm. put in there for comic effect, and it was funny to see. But um, those people who have experienced it in their daily lives, it's just very violent. Yes, it's a violence, and it's a violation of our humanity mm-hmm. when people do that. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't experienced that, you don't really understand the weight or the force of such a um seemingly small comment. Mm-hmm. And if you say the if the scenario was between two men, you kind of feel mm. that there's similar power dynamics. But the scenario was played out within yeah. uh, a conversation between a white man and a, per, a woman of color. The dynamics mm. is really different, and especially when they're not in the similar position. Uh, say in career wise, I mean they they're pretty much in the similar. Uh, like from my point of view, is that they are very similar. But as a white man, he always think that he is above everyone else. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. he was his tone of voice, his attitude, where he just walked out of a conversation, went to his room and start playing guitar and just left Rosie yeah. and feel like he's the center of the world. He should be. Um, cared for and they're just so fucked up to me it was just like oh my goodness woman and woman of color is there constantly every day out in the society and put up with this kind of shit (laughs) I actually am quite impressed by by um, David Duchovny's decision Mm -hmm. um, to actually take on this role because it really paints him in a really bad light like he he comes off looking like um, a not just a douchebag, but an idiot, mm-hmm. just a really plain white bread kind of idiot. Yeah. And so, like, it's really funny to see him take on that role and be ha- happy with taking on that role. Like, mm-hmm. And I think the things about him having a Yale PhD and all that, I, I think that they're quite true. I'm not sure if they are true. I haven't, I yes. haven't actually gone Yeah, to we see. actually looked yeah, up but... that he has written best-selling books and he has <laughs> yeah. written, like, PhD uh, thesis that he went halfway through that he doesn't complete. Yeah. So he does have that I background. Love, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love um how Michelle, uh, sorry, um, Sandra O's character kind of lies to him about like, oh, we had James Franco. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, I love funny. it. I love it. But he also reflects, um, but, sorry to jump in, but he also reflects no, how... Good the academic field in US, even mm. in English department, is becoming very celebrity washed. I don't know if that, oh, yeah. that's even a term. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean it brings in the money. At the end of the day, um, That's right, yeah. Colleges in the United States, especially the Ivy Leagues, are imperialist institutions mm-hmm. um, run mostly by white people. They have an agenda, um, and it is to bring in the money, to bring in a very to to fortify and to perpetuate these ideologies of you know colonial imperialist white supremacist ideologies. And so, like it's it's it makes sense, but it, it's wonderful, I have to say, to see someone like Sandra Oh and her character being thrust into the middle of it and trying to manage what is, like you said last week, a shithole, mm-hmm. a, sh- a bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, really, I, I feel like watching the game. Would you watch it with your son? I feel like your son yeah. might find that I think, interesting as well. I don't. I haven't asked him if he has watched yeah. it by himself, but I would like to watch. I would like to watch it with everyone. You know, yeah. we should have like yeah, a <laughs> FaceTime or a Zoom session with everyone watching it yeah, together, yeah. and just 
analyze it bit by bit. <laughs> yeah, that'll yeah, be fun. Yeah, I know. Uh, staying on Netflix, I we watched um, He's All That Oof. this week. So it's the kind of flip flip rendition of She's All That mm-hmm. from 1999, the very famous movie starring Rachel Lee Cook and Fred Briggs Jr. One of the best teen rom coms ever. I remember seeing it about ten thousand times when I was. 10, 11, 12, whenever that came out. Mm-hmm. This rendition, flipped rendition, is sees Addison Ray play the jock version of, that was Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. She's like this influencer. So Addison Ray, if you don't know, she's very young. She's only 20. She's a TikTok star. And this is her first breakout kind of cinematic role. And um, so she kind of in the first few minutes of the movie, um, she finds out that her boyfriend has been cheating on her and then she and her friends have a bet that she can make over and turn around any kind of geek, mm. dorky guy. Yeah. And then they f- and they find this, like, kind of, like, <laughs> it's so funny, this skater boy, who, like, obviously is very, very handsome, but he just so happens to have long hair. He has band T-shirts. As though anyone with a personality or good taste in music is, like, lame and he wears a beanie. And um, I actually loved this movie so much. Like, it, in all its cheesiness and its, like, kind of earnestness, mm-hmm. um, I, I friggin' loved it so much. Um, it, it's just, like... And I also love Addison Rae. Like, I think she she doesn't really know how to act, but she she's a very sprightly um, personality, mm-hmm. and that kind of comes through. She kind of just has this one-dimensional springiness to her mm-hmm. that um, carries the movie on. And, like the the so the internet is giving it like one or two stars because you know it doesn't they through their lens it doesn't really carry itself well but I friggin' loved it mm-hmm. I found it funny that you used to watch a teen romance movie and then later that you complain about it how it impacts on our society the bad I side of it. role yeah. model that the message that yeah. it's given to our younger generation. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really important that we have clear-eyed adults um, analyzing exactly what the messages are in each of these films. Yes, yeah. Because, like, I know myself I was formulated. My ideas were formulated very concretely during those years when I was watching rom-coms. Uh-huh. Like my ideas about what what to expect uh, as a woman, what mm-hmm. kind of man to uh, pursue in a relationship, all those kind of very fundamental things that we kind of try and learn through our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have explicit education in that, so I watched American rom-coms, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Even in my 40s, 50s and 60s, I'll always love watching very innocent, um, young kind of teenage rom-coms mm-hmm. because it's such a time in your life where the sense of futurity is unlike any other time in your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's always just like makes me really um, joyful to watch teen rom-coms yeah. if they're done if they're done kind of earnestly. It also reflects to the there are things that we don't really encounter in reality and you present it onto the screen and you kind of have an imagination mm. for yourself that you know that you will not be in that kind of relationship, but you see it it's, as a part of entertainment, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if people would call it therapy, but um, a part of entertainment. Because I know that a lot of mature women that they watch, what do you call them? Like a Korean love dramas? Even though yeah, that they're the soap opera, yeah, the soap opera, even though that they're decades into their marriage and they don't feel really much for their partners anymore, but they're trying yeah. to kind of seek that feeling, yeah. seek for the romance feeling through the lens yeah. of the, you know, rom- rom-coms, I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
I have to say, um, you know, Ama, mm-hmm. didn't she, wasn't she really, really kind of not obsessed, but I remember when I was young, when we went back to Taiwan, I would see Ama, that's my mum's mum, our mum's mum. Um, she really loved those Taiwanese dramas, mm-hmm. like Tai Tai Yi. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I love watching her watch them because she was quite enthralled by them. <laughs> Like they're meaningful. Like, uh, like yeah. I, I will be the first and last person to defend the importance of television and stories because honestly, like we're nothing without them. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't. Pay, someone could not pay me enough money to be an accountant or a lawyer or like a job where I'm not required to create something mm-hmm. somehow, like a story. Yeah. Because I just I feel like art is the only reason I live. Yeah. Stories is the only reason I live. Like I can't do anything else. Yeah. Storytelling is very very important to open everyone's eyes. Speaking of storytelling, I've started watching something very different to rom coms. <laughs> well, it will involve a bit yeah. of rom coms in the later of the story that the drama that I'm watching. I'm currently watching Sukaro. It's on Taiwan Plus. It's a free to air platform online, so everyone can watch it. Even if you're in Australia, don't worry about signing up. Something that you have to pay for. Well, at the moment it's free, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's gonna be. Subscription fee in the later. Anyway, so mm-hmm. um, this is a documentary historical event drama that happened in eighteen sixty seven. It's about mm-hmm. conflicts between Hakka natives, Minnan, and the Qin people from Qin Dynasty that arrived in Taiwan during the eighteen sixties. Mm-hmm. And also uh, a group of people they call it in the drama the Blue Eyed, and of course you know that it's the white people they call it the Blue Eyed. It's an adaptation of the book called Kui Lei Hua, Puppet Flower by Chen Yao Chang. I've got the book, but I'm yet to read it. It's in Chinese, hasn't been translated in English yet. So the basis of the synopsis is that the story of all these groups, you know, different culture uh, mixing together, they're having the conflicts, and the main story is focused on the mixed girl who has the background mm-hmm. of Hakka and native. So her mom is mm-hmm. a native in in the drama, not my words. In the drama, they call native savages. So they're indigenous of Chinese, and her dad is a Hakka background. Uh, her struggles mm-hmm. between the conflicts of all these tribes, and also her self reckoning on her own identification, uh, seen through the oppression by the white people. I'm only up to episode two at the moment and I'm already finding it so interesting because I'm so obsessed with so many languages that appear in one drama. Yeah. Uh, in the first episode, I don't hear any Mandarin Chinese. I heard mm-hmm. there's the native language, there's Hakka, there's Tai Minnan, which is essentially Taiyu, uh, Chinese mm-hmm. uh, dialect. It's so interesting that I'm, you know, we were second or first generation of immigrants in Australia as Chinese that I'm starting to see a lot of history or learning a lot of history about Taiwan and people might say that oh you're immigrants you don't need to know about where you're coming from but Mm, I like mm. to know the history of Taiwan and how it reflects our identification for now as in our own Mm. our own identity I think it's so important to know and because it's got English subtitle as well, which I'm so happy about it. So I'm going to show it to my kids for them to know, you know, their backgrounds as well. 
Wow. Yeah. And th- speaking of kind of like backgrounds and all that, mm-hmm. like, um, and I'm hopping on to another um, story. Um, I have, I'm reviewing Michelle Tom's book, A Thousand Aftershocks, which is about, I, I feel like I still need to process it. It's very, very traumatizing to read. Mm. It's like um, the story about her parents. There was a very abusive relationship. And then her sister and her brother, who also have gone through a lot, and I won't spoil it, but um, it's kind of built on this framework of earthquakes. So she and her family were in Christchurch uh, in 2011 with mm-hmm. the, when the um, earthquake happened, and thankfully they survived. Uh, and they're now in Melbourne. Yeah, there's like kind of I, I'm beginning to be wary of how heavy it can feel. Like if you told me about this um, Taiwanese drama that you were just speaking about, um, a few weeks ago, maybe I would have had the capacity to sit through it, but mm-hmm. lately I've just felt like so burdened by so many the weight of the weight of like kind of personal grief, and yeah, it's just it's so hard to know at this time when we're in lockdown what to consume, and I definitely have had to read Michelle Tom's book in, in like brackets because it was so heavy. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like I remember a few years ago for many, lo- for a long time, you and I, Helen, we both said we are, are really obsessed with sto- stories that make us cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of retreating from that statement because I just can no longer handle sad things anymore. Like, is that serious that you just spoke about the Taiwanese one? Is that very heavy and sad? Well, I haven't read the book yet, so which is I don't know if it's a wrong move or the right move to do. But I start watching mm. it because everyone's talking about it. I don't want anyone to spoil for me because I already have friends sending me <laughs> sending me articles about it. Um, uh-huh. And I know that it's like a ma- major, like probably the first major and very epic epic uh, drama that's shot in Taiwan about this period of time. I don't think there was any period drama that's shot it shot that's about 1800s that's in Taiwan mm, because yeah, I can't yeah, really yeah. remember any images what well, in my own brain database that I can remember yeah. about how Taiwan looked like in the 1800s so far it's not so much triggering tri- triggering for me I think because mm. of the time distance but I don't I'll probably get triggered as the as the drama moves towards you know the um, climax of the storytelling um, because essentially uh, uh, you know under the jurisdiction of the America that Taiwan Formosa back then it was called mm, mm, that yeah. um, a counselor from US needs to investigate this cap- capsized American merchant ship but mm. all the crew in that merchant ship was attacked by indigenous people. The reason being because that tribe had this story before that part of their tribe was pretty much killed by white people. So they they have this kind of sense of historical traumatic background. So that's why they hate uh, white people. So when they see, you know, white people arriving on their land, they immediately didn't even consult with yeah. their own chief that they immediately attacked. Yeah. So um so it's quite chaotic. That's one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. but I think because I'm in a better mental state to at the moment, that's why I can watch it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So of course uh, for anyone out there 
I do agree that you need to have ensure that you have a. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say a proper mental state, but you you know you're comfortable to watch things like this. And this is yeah. one thing that I was kind of conflicted. I don't know about the situation in the media industry in Taiwan. They don't really give out content or trigger warnings. Warnings. Yeah. yeah at the yeah, beginning yeah. of the yeah. of the drama. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were like they there were scenarios that's quite violent. As in very yeah, gruesome yeah, right. physical violence. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, that's really interesting. You said that because I remember a few years ago when I was looking at domestic violence and misogyny and mm. femicide in Taiwan. When I was doing some research, I read a lot of articles from the Taipei Taiwan Times, mm-hmm. and like the way in which they describe the crimes, like enacted by men on women, because like ninety nine percent of the time it was men killing women, mm-hmm. like really graphic. Like they were mm. they were they were very graphic descriptions of what the man did to the woman's body, mm. and like I was like, wow, I just it felt like reading some sort of crime novel. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you don't see that much in Australia, like you wouldn't see, you wouldn't get descriptions of how a body was found. Yeah, in yeah. the bush, for instance. That's whereas, right. like, yeah, in Taiwan, they seem to, yeah, be more kind of, yeah, it's the standard is not the, not the standard. The scope, I suppose, is different, and that's really interesting. Yeah, the standards of the journalism culture, I guess, is still very different, and I guess part yeah. of it is sensationalizing. The crime sometimes, yeah, unfortunately. yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. Sensationalizing it, that's right. Yeah. Um, I'm just noticing because uh, Helen and I, when we record these podcasts, we we see each other, um, and I can see Helen's wearing a Monash um, sweatshirt, and I'm wearing a Boston oh. sweatshirt, Boston <laughs> University. <laughs> Not that I went to Boston University. It was a um, a sweatshirt that Helen got me. Maybe I got myself back in um, Taiwan. Like maybe twenty, yeah. yeah, twenty years ago. I legit have had this Boston University sweatshirt since I was like ten. Knockoff from the market for two hundred tiny dollars or something. Yeah, I know. I love it. Um, but it just reminded me last night. I binged watched. Um, and this is like the my favorite thing in the world. And this is something that I absolutely love doing because it makes me feel better. Like no matter what is going on in my life. Binge watching Broad City is always a huge comfort for me. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen Broad City? I haven't watched. Oh Broad my god! You, I don't know you if you like it. You sent me so much stuff. We just got so much right. stuff on my list, yeah. and you just have to slowly. I'm one not by sure one if you like it though. I th- no. I love it to death. Um, but uh-huh. uh, I'm not sure if it's your taste. So I'll be cl- mm-hmm. I'll be keen to see how you feel about it. Um, okay. what's your go-to kind of comforting watch? Hell, uh, Shit's Creek. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 absolutely. That is Shit's Creek so frigging comforting. And also, I don't, I don't know if it's comfort watching, but lately my family's been watching King's Convenient. Oh, okay, yep, yep. Yeah, so it's just a bit of lighthearted, but there's you know racial issues in it. Yeah, you see, definitely. Yep. Yeah, that's Be- that's something interesting we like. Nice. To yeah. Well, finally, to wrap up our cultural consumption for the week, Helen, can you tell me the book that you have started this week? Oh, okay. Um, so firstly, I will talk about the book, and also before we go into the break, that mm-hmm. I will let you know. I will actually will let the listener know of what we received <laughs> this week from oh, the, yes, like a yes. DM. Definitely. Um, okay. So I've been reading Brave New Human by Sarah Dingle this week. It's such an amazing, amazing book. Um, 
how I came by this book and the author is um, I listened to one of the podcasts about Sydney Writers Festival, which happened earlier this year. Um, she spoke about her book and her journey of seeking the... She was trying to find her biological father. Um, the sheer coherent and the detailed yet the conciseness of her writing is so amazing. She, rec- she recollects her journey of pursuing a giant industry, the IVF and the past history to search her biological father. Um, it's kind of like a feeling of David versus Goliath situation. You know, they mm-hmm. were missing and tempered medical record and her own mother didn't really want to talk about it. She didn't find out she was donor conceived until she was 27. It's just so messy about the risk of not knowing your identity, both mentally and also physically. It's so draining and the danger of unknown genetic illness and the yeah. possibility of incest relationship of not exactly. knowing yeah. that they are like your half brothers yeah. or sisters exactly. out there in the community. Yeah, so I'm halfway through the book and I think it's very, very well written. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, can I just say... um. Uh, I spoke to Sarah Dingle recently. Mm-hmm. She interviewed me for an event that's coming out in October, and she's just so effing brilliant. She's yeah, just I know. a brilliant human human being, mm-hmm. honestly. Like beyond everything, beyond her intellect and her just her absolute smartness, she's so clever. Beyond that, she's very kind. She's very yes. very kind hearted, and you can see yeah. that come through in the way that she um, talks in her interviews. Um, I can't. I haven't actually listened to that interview that she did in uh, Sydney Rides Festival, but I've been following Sarah for for like all of my twenties, mm-hmm. because like she was the only Asian face that I saw in the sort of media. She was like a, for a long time she was doing background briefing, which is like a mm-hmm. audio documentary slash podcast. Um, all through the noughties, and um, I was just, like, so thrilled to be able to speak to her. But, Helen, yeah, um, I cannot wait to read this book after you because uh, I really want to read it. I really, really want to read it. And Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And ad- anonymous donor donations and all that, it's, it's such a, like, like Sarah was telling me the other week when I talked to her, it's such a sort of taboo subject, like nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, like, shame I wrapped know. up in, yeah. in it. Yeah. I think we'll have to probably do a podcast based on this in regards to the book that we read earlier this year, Breast and Eggs, that was oh, yes, about yes. donor conception as yes. well. I the told novel. Sarah about that book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to recommend it to her as well. Yeah. yeah, I think we have to make like a huge connection of yeah. her book and it's also Breast and It's really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is so interesting. I don't even know how to jump into this topic because we received a DM from a listener late last night. Keep going, um, hell. Keep going. Because I'm just going to pick up something at my door. Okay. Um, so I'll just read out the message from a listener. I don't believe that this listener is a regular listener of our show. He or she or they, they probably only listen to a particular episodes and they made uh, the decision of sending us this message. So this is a message from this person. Um, They say that, I don't know if you two naively think jumping on the China bad information campaign by the CIA is somehow bringing the truth into the light. Or you know exactly what you're doing when you're just pandering to whatever group wants to bash China nowadays. But the podcast on Tiananmen and Wuhua stuff is just completely fiction and you two sound ridiculous talking about it. 
Both were manufactured by CIA to reduce Chinese legitimacy, and as Asians and therefore intractably linked stakeholders, you need to fight back against this propaganda. Even if your channel is small right now, if you have the to resort to lying to your listeners, you probably need another direction. Um, my first initial reaction was that I laughed, and、yeah. I was so excited that we got noticed by the little pinks, which is another term. Uh, in Chinese, we call a xiaofenhong. Yeah.、Um, They're essentially like a group of keyboard warriors that is pro CCP, right? And right. I was just thinking, Jesus, we finally got our chance to be, <laughs> to be fired at, right? It was、okay. so interesting. I I didn't I didn't take it as an offense, okay? Okay. I just saw it was so funny because、uh, some of the podcasts I listen that is made in Taiwan, the host has been targeted by little pinks. In saying that, you know,、um, if you're anti-CCP, you are anti-China. But we want to clarify that we are here to bash CCP. We're not anti-China, and、mm. listeners need to know. You need to separate those two things. So you need to get it yeah. right. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I I just find it really interesting that this very constructed.、Uh, Message that sent to us、uh, is actually from,、uh, I think it's a person from US. So right,、uh, okay. I don't know if it's a fake account or a real account,、um, but I just I just thought it was so interesting that he thought that we are the conspiracy theorists、uh, that we follow the propagandas that was sent by CIA. I don't know if I'll have we have any other listeners out there thinking that Cultural Revolution or Tiananmen is not true. I really feel sorry for you if you think like that.、Um, my own experience is that I had a Chinese teacher, Miss Miao, that I still remember her name. She's a great person, absolutely amazing teacher. Back in the nineties when I was studying Chinese, so in the curriculum there was a movie study, Fu Rongzhen,、mm. Hibiscus Town. Mm. That we did for our HSC、um, units,、mm. mm-hmm. so the movie was、uh, a depiction of the period of Cultural Revolution, where the small business, i.e., the capitalism, were heavily attacked and punished publicly.、Mm. People who were reading books,、uh, they were questioned. The film pretty much depicts the total control of the military. Miss Miao, the teacher that I had, told us that she experienced Cultural Revolution, which was from nineteen sixties. Nineteen sixty six onwards, yeah, and fortunate enough for her that she had her students didn't turn her in, so they actually hired her. She didn't quite mention how she got to Australia. I guess that could have been really traumatic for her, so she didn't want to talk about it. Um, I I don't know. It's really got nothing to do with us being Asian or not. You know, who the fuck said that if you're an Asian, you need to be loyal to CCP and not calling out the shits that they're doing? It's just you know really totalitarian bullshit. We don't need to apologize to speak the truth. And for this listener, if you come up with your own truth, we welcome you to do on podcast and you can talk about it. You know, tell the world. Your side of story. Let us know if、uh, the Chinese Communist Party have the transparency to let the world know what's really going on in Xinjiang, and you know, let the foreign journalists go in there and investigate. Yeah. So yeah, that's our response. Yeah. 
Or at least from my response. I don't know what Jess thinks. I am not comfortable to talk about this. So mm-hmm. I, I, because I just haven't read into any of it. So I'll, I'll let you take the lead on that, Helen. Mm-hmm. Gladly. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to take right. a break and we'll be right back uh, with our conversation about who gets to tell what kind of stories according to their gender. Mm-hmm. go hey guys we're back and so as always father's day mother's day any kind of binary fucking shit day like that that celebrates <laughs> one type of person because of their gender always mm-hmm. pisses me off and yeah. you know Helen and i are both like really really big um fighters for destroying the patriarchy um even though we participated by d- dating men <laughs> <laughs> anyway, dating uh, yeah being cis is the worst um no, no, I don't say that. Um, I just say that jokingly. Um, so, uh, uh, because you know, I understand. I'm like I have privileges that you know trans people and people other marginalized people don't have. So this topic, this idea of mm. who gets to tell what kind of story according to their gender, really came about when, over the course of about three weeks, um, during the month of August and July, mm-hmm. I noticed. That Zoc Zonfrillo's Zoc Zoc. Remember, remember your own motto. Just say it. Just say it. Just say the name. Yeah. Um. Jock Zonfrillo, who is apparently I don't have a TV. This guy who is a chef on MasterChef, one of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um. He like he started to appear everywhere in mm. the newspaper. Okay. online like it just like i swear his pr campaign was just sensational good job mm-hmm. to his team um but yeah he's he's um his face was everywhere basically he was coming out to promote his new book mm-hmm. which is a memoir and it was about the memoir is kind of um is is being sold as like a memoir about addiction and overcoming addiction Mm-hmm. One Sunday morning, I flipped over the paper and there was like a Father's Day book catalogue from Dibbs. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. And I even sent the picture to Helen because I'm <laughs> yeah. on the biography memoir page. Like a lot of the stories were by like um, men, either sportsmen or celebrities like mm-hmm. Jock, mm-hmm. who like have overcome some sort of addiction. Mm-hmm. And I was with my partner at the time and I turned to him and I was like, what's with like memoirs about man, man, men coping with addiction whereas like a lot of memoirs I see with women right they talk about um mental illness or trauma mm-hmm. or rape and I started to wonder whether there was some sort of I don't know I started to wonder like why is it that we have men tend to be drawn like not be drawn to addiction but like why is it that men seem to be addicted to something um and be able to talk about it right Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with women, it seems like more women are more um, comfortable or it's more acceptable for women to talk about mental illness openly. Mm. Like mm. I'm sure there are mental, I'm sure there are memoirs about men dealing with Asperger's or 
um, eating disorders or depression out there, but there are so mm-hmm. few of them compared to women, you know? Like, yeah. it feels like there are, like, a gazillion memoirs about eating disorders, anorexia, schizophrenia and depression and panic disorders and anxiety written by white women. And I will say, or most of these are by white people, mm-hmm. whereas, like, um, a lot of the memoirs we get from men are like, um, oh, I was addicted to heroin, I was addicted to drugs or sex, and I've now overcome them. Like, mm-hmm. Jock Zonfrilo, I think he was addicted to heroin, and mm-hmm. then somehow um, the society allows for them to be rehabilitated um, back into some sort of acceptance, place of acceptance in society. Like, quickly, I'm just thinking about Tanya Plibersek's husband who was, like, I think dealt with drugs or, and was even sent to jail for a few years in his, or maybe months, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. incarcerated maybe, or maybe not. I, I don't want to be sued by saying that. I actually don't know what happened, but I know that he dealt with some sort of narcotics when he was younger and then now he's like completely rehabilitated and I just started to wonder like what kind of stories are deemed acceptable you know I'm doing air quotes with my hands right now acceptable and non-acceptable according to your gender Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I started to wonder that and yeah and when I told you about this topic Helen what was your first thoughts? Well you just said about three texts to me earlier this week and you just got so many questions that I need to slowly break it down first. Okay. I need to know, you want to ask why there's a differences between women and men, how they tell their story, mm-hmm. or do you want to break down in the sense that men are more prone to addiction and women are, the women are more prone to mental illness, do you want to just focus on the book maybe. part? Or maybe, the... maybe the latter. Like, okay. uh, I'm thinking, like, um, maybe, like, the patriarchy, and let's not kid ourselves, mm-hmm. the patriarchy is res- responsible for everything. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not mental illness. I don't know. I can't speak about mental illness with authority. But, like, it's, mm. it's, it's almost like um, the world functions in a way where if you hate yourself... Like, the pain, the source of the pain often, like, we're female suffering often comes due to kind of external forces, due to male power, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And I- I'm not blaming men for women suffering from mental illness. That's not what I'm saying. I think I'm saying that it's interesting that we have a lot of men coming out to comfortably and be championed for coming out mm-hmm. to talk about addiction, um, mm. But addiction, I think, is um, self-inflicted, right? Whereas, like, mental illness is not self-inflicted. And I'm, and it just made me think, like, why is it that men turn to substance abuse or they turn to some sort of form of addiction to cope, mm-hmm. to cope with their pain? Mm-hmm. Whereas women, I think a lot of source of mental illness is like this, well, nobody chooses it, you know, um, but a lot of it is about, like, hiding it, you know, and... Mm-hmm. I wonder whether it equally can be said that women are forced to hide their mental illness like um, in the way that men also need to hide their addiction. Like what is the correlation mm-hmm. between female mental illness and male um, addiction? If there is ever, if, is there, if there is any correlation at all to be drawn from them, uh-huh. one is kind of like not chosen and the other one is chosen. But I'm not saying that men freely choose to be addicted to someone, even though mm-hmm. in a way they do. But, you know, something in their life must have made them drawn to being addicted to mm-hmm. something, you know? I think this is a huge grey area for us because none of us have been... What Have you been in addiction of anything yourself? Not that I can publicly... 
uh-huh. declare. Not that I, okay. I don't think so. I'm not confident enough to say that confidently in public. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think I am. Yeah. Okay. I think there is a, a connection between substance uh, abuse and mental illness because you, one goes with another sometimes and some people might use a coping mechanism like, for example, alcohol or drugs to cope with mental illness and oh yes and ex- yes of course and externally you know overdose sometimes and you get addicted so it might not be self-inflicted sometimes yeah. it's family dynamics the issues around family cultures as well you know uh let's just speak simply about alcohol you see that it could be a very generational thing like the father drinks and then the son drinks yes, and yes. you know it goes on yeah um talking about it publicly i think we need to break down to consider that is it because are you talking about that men are more forgiven is that what you're saying that men are more forgiven when they're coming out talking about addictions and then they can be rejoined into society and peop- they are more accepted whereas women I don't know. Do, have you seen? I I I did I think, see a couple of addiction memoirs. Say, yeah, I think yeah, what say I'm like Carrie Fisher. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I think what I'm, I definitely redact my statement about addiction being self-inflicted. What I mean is that, um, I mean in a way it's self-inflicted, but of obviously the causes for or the reason for that, um, mm-hmm. for those things are beyond that person's um choice. I suppose yes, mm-hmm. a lot of people turn to addiction because of some external factor in their lives of which they can't control. I absolutely Mm. um, believe in that and think that. I think what I'm trying to say is that I think I'm just more posing a question, open question, like why do we see a lot of males talk about addiction and why do we not see that in women? Like why don't we see a lot of memoirs about women and addiction? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like most memoirs I see on the shelf are women dealing with like anxiety or um grief and yeah like I I just wonder why like and and also this is kind of completely different but I also feel like it's really interesting that women seem to be more free in talking being able to talk about their sex lives as well like personal Mm -hmm. lives like a lot of the memoirs that I read have very detailed and explicit recountings and descriptions of you know how they met their husband or like mm-hmm. when they first had sex or like um just like really personal conversations whereas like you we don't really see that with men and i just mm. think that's interesting okay i think it comes down to the process of socialization of the children i think that's one aspect i was just reading through the gender differences in literary in autobiography mm. um there's one piece of article that i came across it says that um it can actually track back to the ways that parents speak to their children about their shared experiences. Like parents tend to use a more elaborate conversational style when speaking with their daughters and more pragmatic conversational styles when speaking with their sons. So I guess that could be one of the elements that results into how male and female express differently in their adult life. Whereas female tend to be more elaborative in conversations that are characterized by relatively long, uh, emotional, 
conversations and the very details and pragmatic conversation, which is more used with the boys, are、uh, characterized、yeah. with、uh, W questions like who, what, where, and when.、Mm. So there is a differences there. I, I I guess that's why that women have been well, girls been socialized to. Be more openly about their emotions,、right. about their mental status. Whereas, unfortunately, that the patriarchy society have kind of punished the boys when they want to express their emotional side. So yeah, yeah. I I I don't know. Maybe addiction becomes like a coping mechanism for them to deal with their emotional. Um, roller coasters when the society don't really accept them to speak openly about their mental status, and which I find I think it's progressing. I think some I I I I am seeing that on TV or on some literary work that male writers and male celebrities are opening up to speak about their emotions、mm. and to talk about how they actually feel when they were growing up. How the stereotypical frame around their life has actually damaged them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I like what you said because um, why do people like? I feel like this conversation, which I thought would be kind of just quite on the surface, is actually quite heavy. And I、mm-hmm. totally acknowledge that neither Helen and I are experts in addiction. So like we're just having a very kind of superficial conversation about it, you know, because、mm-hmm. you know people spend their lives studying addiction. And I'm not going to pretend that neither either of us understand it to that degree, but I guess like just on a surface level,、um, people. I think my knowledge is that people reach to something over and over again because it soothes them or that numbs them or it like kills、yes. the pain basically.、Mm-hmm. And like I I I I I just don't see. I don't think it's a good world where like、um, more. Half the population are somehow numbing themselves through substance abuse or some sort of way of like numbing their pain. That's actually、mm-hmm. not helping or making them make or or like solving not solving the problem, but like really addressing the issue or healing them in a proper way. Like I don't think that、mm-hmm. um, if you keep reaching for alcohol whenever you are sad, that is a constructive way to heal yourself. I don't、mm. think that reaching for drugs and doing it all every single time you feel pain is a good way to heal yourself.、Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting that yeah,、um, it seems to me that there's only one half of the population,、um, i.e., men who have only this one recourse in healing themselves, in, in not healing themselves, in trying to dim the pain. You know,、mm-hmm. they reach for drugs or alcohol or sex、mm. or gambling. I don't know. I wouldn't specifically say male does it. I know that a lot of female does it,、um, but not to the addictive、uh, level. Like you say, it's like a coping mechanism to heal temporary, and it's a temporary relief. Yeah, yeah.、Um, but it also speaks a lot about、um, mental health. System everywhere in the world that is just not enough to cope with all the shit that's happening. And now we're speaking about children as well. Children needs to be looked after their mental health, well-being. I think there's not enough people that has been trained to cope with the system to actually 
do counseling to do to deal with the overall mental health structure of a society mm. i think that's one thing and when you uh I, i know i've heard a lot of people that is just on wait list to wait waiting to see a counselor because yeah. there's just not not enough of them and if you're speaking from the point of view of a colored person you want to specifically look for a counselor that understands you and that's even harder so there is the wait and then you go for a temporary solution more like more or less likely you know alcohol is the easiest way to get in touch yeah, yeah. yeah. so unfortunately i guess what well, that's what i'm observing from um you know the mental health system at the moment yeah yeah it's such a huge issue and it's something like you know it feels really overwhelming just to talk about it you know and here yeah. here we are at the thick of this discussion when really i just like it was purely a, my idea for today's podcast was really just an open mm-hmm. question like it's just interesting that um one group of people tend to be allowed to talk about one subset of problems that we deal with whereas another one mm. cannot you know and and you know mm. to be fair i feel like um before i talk about these things i should go out and read these biographies or memoirs by men. I just I can't remember the last time I picked up a book written by a man. So <laughs> <laughs> So I am very biased in my opinions. Yeah, when was mm. the last time you picked up a book by a man? I'm still reading that Taiwanese novel by a by a guy who <laughs> just halfway through his book but I can't really continue because it just drags on, but I would definitely finish it. Yeah, later. nice. Yeah. But I also want to point out I think the society is more ex- I I don't think it's uh, we as either gender that chooses to frame our narratives addi- around addiction of mental illness because I think two goes into into one another very closely. I think it's just that the society is more acceptable about male addictions. It's like in the past decades that the domestic violence was considered a norm. but the society yeah. has given too much excuses to male to openly speak about their addiction and the stigma of the society think that it's okay for them to speak about it but what about women you know sometimes women get scrutinized to speak out about everything <laughs> so yeah. i mean I, i'm not saying that men doesn't get scrutinized i think men gets a lot of attacks when they openly speak about mental health I say even 5 years ago only recently that uh society have starting to shift their views around seeing the importance of opening up to speak about mental health for men because yeah. in the past that uh, they always consider that oh you're a pussy you're you're so weak yeah which is not true but people like us we try to kind of open up this kind of conversation to really think about uh, what is really genuinely the problem here yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah It's a really large topic and it's something that you know we will be thinking about for a long time to come but it's just mm-hmm. an observation this is more of an observational discussion I suppose than any set of clarifications about you know what is what and what is who is who yeah but it's it's mm-hmm. really interesting to hear your thoughts and I think um jumping on the back of what Helen said it is really interesting in the the way in which I I I tend to think like um like when I was reading Michelle Tom's book I thought to myself actually that I even though despite the very many problems that still persist mm. for women to in li- living in this world um I I still have hope for and and hope and optimism that I live in a 
I, I'm glad that I live in this time because people are be allowed to be, be more tender with each other. And that's mm -hmm. what I universally hope for everyone um, is that there is more collectively, individually, more tenderness in this world. That, And what mm -hmm. I mean when I say that, Helen, is basically I wish that and I hope and I am hoping and seeing that there is just generally more kindness mm -hmm. that we give each other, that, that there's less judgment, more kindness and um, less judgment. That I just said that twice. Less judgment and more <laughs> kindness is basically what I say when I say that we should all be more tender with each other. Like tenderness is just there's no limit to tenderness. I think that if we all had more tenderness in our lives, this world would just be miraculous. Yeah, yeah, it's not gonna be that easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna no. <laughs> throw the cold water on top of it. No, of course, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of tenderness and kindness, um, I have been well soothed by my my appetite has been by eating Omi's yes. Omi's Omi's uh, uh, food, which he kindly mm -hmm. delivered last week. Yeah, what a gem. let us know. So yeah, we're having a shout out um, again. Um, Omar is Omar Su is the creator of Omi's Kitchen, and he mm. basically does um, home style delivered food to your door that you just simply have to heat up. And it's just like mm -hmm. I've been binging on them this week, and they're so <laughs> like they make me feel like I'm in my mum's home, which uh -huh. like, I dearly, dearly miss. Uh -huh. What have you been having? Which one's your favorite oh, so far? Um, so yeah. I had um, beef um, yesterday, uh -huh. which is a beef famous Taiwanese soup dish. noodle. Yep. And then I also had um, the rice, the sticky rice. Mm -hmm. Yo fan. Yo fan, yep. And yeah. then um, today I'm thinking about either having the crispy chicken um, mm -hmm. or the um, ba one. But but the oh bar one, God. I'm kind yeah, of the bar one. wanting to wait to do it with someone because um to have it with someone because and I can't with my partner because he's vegan, but um but the sauce comes like there's two bar ones and there's one mm -hmm. sachet of sauce so, um so I kind of want to wait to do it with someone because I can't I can only eat one bar one because uh -huh, uh -huh. it, it's quite large. Oh wow, that's yeah. amazing! I know yeah. I'm very grateful, very grateful. Definitely on order um the the only special um moon cakes. Very yeah. limited time, guys. Mm -hmm. Omni's is having a special release of their homemade mooncake, which is I'm quite surprising because a lot of stores that either do Cantonese styles or Taiwanese styles, but Omar have come up with a gift box that combines the Cantonese and the Taiwanese style. If you ask me what's the differences, oh, I'm just going to go into another episode of explaining the differences of mooncake. But yeah. uh, you'll see it on their website and you'll immediately understand what I'm talking about yeah. um, check out Omni's on their website for their homemade Chinese food it's amazing they are so good yeah so with that we're gonna tap Wrap off up. now for today yeah. guys so that's the end of our episode remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify Google and Apple if you have enjoyed our show please give us a five star rating we welcome listeners to send us your feedbacks or any topics you would like to us to explore we would also love to know what you're listening, watching and reading during this crazy pandemic period. Check out updates on socials and make sure that you share with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under and continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. So that's it for this week and we'll catch up next week. Mm -hmm.